I'm Brennan Ugama. I'm a cinematographer and I am the hustle. Welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, a weekly show where an aspiring actor and screenwriter set out to educate and inspire artists and entrepreneurs all over the world with the stories and challenges of those hustling towards success. Hello, it is I, Daniel Tuttle, your host, and welcome back to The Hustle. Guys, it has been a crazy few weeks for me personally. Me and Michael have had some exciting stuff to do together. Uh, Just a lot of stuff going on. Cannot wait to share it with you on our next side hustle when we get a chance to share our personal hustles with you guys. Just keep sending those positive thoughts to us. We'll keep sending them to you. A lot of cool things are happening, and we're excited to share them in the future. So definitely keep listening uh, to future episodes to hear what's going on with us. It's uh, Some good things are happening. Also, for those listening for the first time who don't even know who I am, I'm a screenwriter. Michael is an actor. He's my producer and podcast editor, co-host as well. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, super excited to have you all here joining our League of Hustle, our community that is over 25,000 strong now and growing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Make sure to leave a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or if the platform you're listening to gives you that option, please do that. That's always helpful. And make sure to subscribe, favorite, follow, whatever the platform you're on calls it. And share this show with other people, other hustlers in your life that you think could be inspired and learn from this show. We would really appreciate it. A huge shout out to those on Twitter recently that shared our Sarah J. Egan episode. You guys are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A lot of people loving Sarah J. Egan's episode, getting a lot out of it. Thank you to Joanna K at Joanna underscore K-E. And Jessica Martin, at Jessica E. Martin, just to name a few. Thank you guys for tweeting out about this episode. We really appreciate it. Keep doing it. Keep spreading the word, the hustle word out there. Uh, Thank you to everyone who shared our episode and Sarah's story. She is awesome. Now, we are incredibly excited to bring you this week's interview. It is so good. You know, recently there's been a lot of discourse and divide over the recent film, Joker. One thing I've heard, though, through all the noise is how beautifully shot this film is. And I can attest to that. It is gorgeous. And that is thanks to the cinematographer, also known as the director of photography, or DP, Lawrence Schur. Lawrence has worked on some very popular films like Godzilla, King of the Monsters, The Hangover series, and I Love You, Man. We've seen these movies. We've awed, smiled, and wowed at their beauty, but rarely do we know the name of those who create the shots that leave us in awe. Another name I'm sure some of you may not know is Gordon Willis, the cinematographer for the Godfather trilogy, the classic All the President's Men, and a ton of other top classics. Mr. Willis once said, A cinematographer is a visual psychiatrist, moving an audience, making them think the way you want them to think, painting pictures in the dark. This quote easily applies to our guest today, who helps create worlds in ways that bring a certain feeling and tone to their audience. The cinematographer or DP of shows like Riverdale, Katie Keene on CW, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, and most recently, the reboot film for the Child's Play series. We're talking about Brendan Ugama. We were lucky to meet Brendan when we interviewed actress and director Nicole Lear, and he agreed to come on the show. After traveling in Canada and New York, we were finally able to sit down and chat with Brendan to discuss his journey in the world of cinematography, the skills that are a must to be successful, how to collaborate with a revolving door of directors for a series while keeping the tone and look for the show consistent overall and protecting the work of the actors. He shares how he has adapted and approached each project a bit differently and what it was like to take on a horror classic like Child's Play and a horror icon like Chucky, and what it was like to kind of work with Mark Hamill. Brendan shares so much knowledge about this side of a production that is seldomly heard from, minus a few award speeches here and there. We were incredibly excited to sit down with Brendan and learn more about how cinematographers approach their work and move from project to project, world to world. This is a unique look into an important art form So let's just get to it. Let the hustle begin. 
Uh, Brendan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, as always with me is my jughead, Michael Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I mean, that, Riverdale, it, it's a Riverdale Oh, there we go. It's a good, good it's, reference. Yeah, it's I got that. I got yeah, that. I like it. I like it. Now, uh, even Brendan didn't get it. Come on, Brendan. <laughs> no, I got it. I oh, got yeah. it. <laughs> now, real quick, I guess, as we get going, director of photography, cinematographer. Uh, those are always used interchangeably. Is there a technical difference or is there one that you're like, I am this? There's, I always call myself a cinematographer. I mean, I'm, you know, cinematography is what I do. So it kind of, that's just the term that I've always, always associated with, but director photography is the same thing. I, I think it's wh- whatever you're comfortable saying as a, you know, if you want to be called cinematographer or director of photography, that's fine. Well, it's it's all think, interchangeable. Cause even like on IMDb, there's sections for the same show where it'll say like cinematographer. But then when you look at the list, it says like director of photography. So yeah, it's, it I is mean, very super interchangeable. I think it is. And I, I don't know. You I know, guess to this day, I still like I, being an actor. Yeah, like, <laughs> one's a fancier version of it than the other. Uh, so, Brendan, just tell us a little bit about where you're from and kind of what drew you to uh, film and and becoming a, a cinematographer. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada. I've always been into image making. Like you know, I was a photographer for a long time, just in, as a hobbyist in, in school, and was always you know working in the dark room. And I was into art, drawing, sketching, that kind of thing. So I was always into that. Movies were always what I loved. I always knew I wanted to make them. I just didn't know at a certain point in my life, I didn't know what area of film I wanted to be in. I didn't know if I wanted to direct, write, act, or shoot. And cinematography was just the one that kind of... Gravitated towards. Yeah, I just gravitated towards. Exactly. It just kind of spoke to me and, and everything aligned for that. Is there a film as a kid that like one specific when you look back and you just think, wow, when I was watching that film, I was captured by these images. But do you remember what movie? <laughs> yeah, Star Wars. Now, was, I was literally <laughs> about to say, yeah. it's Star Wars, isn't it? it? No, 100%. <laughs> like, and the reason, it's not because Star Wars is like the most cinematic movie ever made although they did things that no one had been doing before what they, how they photographed that show was remarkable, but it was more that at the age that I was, when I saw them, I remember being like, Oh yeah, people make movies. Like this is, I'd see behind the scenes footage of them making the destroyers look like these massive things that would go on forever. But the toy that they were shooting was only this big. And this, these are tricks that people do. These yeah. are filmmakers decisions and it's, and it's how they use the tools. And, uh, and that was the first time I started thinking about making movies that people could actually do this. That's the movie that a lot of our guests, Michael Tucker uh, from season two shared that that was the movie that inspired him. It's an amazing movie. And it is that perfect blend of like practical with the illusion. And yeah, I mean, there had been similar movies before then, but that was really the one to, set it off yeah one to do it that well as well you know they they did some and they invented a lot of stuff I yeah mean, they had to figure out how to you know do povs through the forest that would look like they're on the speeders you know just going super fast but it was just a guy walking with a steady cam shooting at two frames a second you know just like little things like that just small tricks that they figured out how to do it now were you into kind of general photography when you were a kid just regular uh still photography yeah yeah black and white usually um Still, I still, you know, I haven't been as active lately with photos, but I still have a bunch of still cameras and I love to take photos. Were your parents super supportive of, you know, yeah, here's, here's the camera, go and shoot. (laughs) Yeah, they were very supportive. They didn't, I don't think my dad really understood it for a while. Um, You know, he's, he was in education. He was the vice president of the University of British Columbia. And he want, I think both him and my parents wanted me to, to do something that felt safe, you know, that I could have a career with that they knew was going to be fine. Security. Security. And no one in my family, any cousins or aunts or anyone work in movies or television. They just, there was no connection there. So it was, it felt very far, you know, and, but they were supportive. They, you know, they were very supportive when I wanted to try different classes. They would like, you know, help me out and, and, and that kind of thing. They were always, they never said, no, you shouldn't do this, but they didn't. They were just like, what is that? Please, please don't do that. <laughs> so in the, I guess for those that are listening that may not understand exactly like what a cinematographer does, can you in the, like the simplest layman terms kind of describe what your job is on set and for a production? Yeah. At the core of it, it's really telling the story with images and it's being in control of the image and, and being responsible for the image and all that goes in front of it. It's really like the color, the contrast, exposure, the framing, the composition, that kind of thing. But on top of that, it's telling the story 
visually, you know, and it's making sure that you're working with a director to make sure you get the right shots and make sure that you're getting everything you need and you're doing it in a way that can be expressive to that story, hopefully new and just something that doesn't pull you out of the script, but just translates and makes it better. And I always, one of the things I remember when I was in cinematography school was my teacher saying, you should be able to watch a movie without sound on and really know what it's all about. And it's true. If you want someone to feel like, yes, you can put on a, a movie without sound and, and you know that they're going through certain things based on where they are in the movie, but you want to make sure that their feelings are being translated as well. If they're, if they're sad or if they're angry or whatever. So, and that, those are all subtleties that you can work with the director and with the cameras and the lighting and that sort of thing to make sure it's translated. I feel like the, the, the cinematographer gives the feel of the movie or the TV show that by just the visual feeling, like the tones and like you said, kind of like the moments that aren't spoken can be told completely through just how the image and the picture is done. Yeah. Uh, th- those, those more like even those emotional moments where no one's speaking but that right camera angle, that right pan or that right zoom in or things like that can easily just bring that emotion in. Yeah. To someone. That plus the editor yeah. making sure that oh, they absolutely. hold those beats. And, you know, we'll, sometimes I'll talk with the editors ahead of time, uh, especially on series. Cause you, you kind of get a, a second hand with them and you bring things up and you start to learn what everyone's about and how it's going to go. But um, generally that's kind of, more the director's thing is working with the editors, of course. Mm-hmm. But I talk with director a lot about, you know, pacing, like how how is this going to be paced out? Are you going to hold these beats? And trying to understand how they want to edit the film really helps me understand how to photograph it as well mm-hmm. and what certain shots we need or don't need. I often find, especially on TV shows, that like you get so much extra stuff that you don't need and they don't make it into the show. And and they're point, not, I shouldn't say they're pointless, but they're just, there's so many extra stuff that takes a lot of time out of your day that's already tight. So I always try to streamline it, make sure, do we need this? Is this going to tell the story? Is it going to progress it? Do you, do you have kind of like a checklist, like in your head of like how you figure out what is important and what's not? Well, I don't think I have a checklist or a rule book by any means, but I, I guess I'd probably do that some subconsciously in certain ways. Like, but it's not that I would go through a script and really say this beat isn't important, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> but well, fine, Brendan. <laughs> but at times I will actually have talked to directors like, what is the purpose of this? Do we need this? Do we need the dialogue to tell that? Or do we need, you know, certain things that are, are working? Is this the best way to do it? And, you know, you just, everything's a conversation and it's all, the more we talk about it, the better it is and the better it translates. And I think the directors that I've worked with have been, I think they've been very appreciative of, of like the open dialogue and just trying to really make it the best it can be. I don't want it to necessarily just be like, it's got to look good. Now, I mean, there is a new thing a lot of times. Uh, I think it started a little bit with like How I Met Your Mother, where you have like the same director for you know majority of the episodes, if not all the episodes. It's more prevalent on like cap- premium cable, like HBO and Showtime. But other like network series, you have your set group of directors that rotate out in episodes and then you have guest directors that'll come in as well how do you fit yourself to fit these different personalities and these different styles obviously with a tv show there's already a style book there's a a format and this is this is what the show looks like but how do you fit yourself to work with each of these different uh, personalities as they rotate out it's a good question because you're right. I mean, it's like there's a the show has a style, you know, and the show has a showrunner who really is the one that um, dictated that in the very beginning, you know, worked with the pilot director and the cinematographer to, to get to figure out what that is. And to me, my loyalty lies with the showrunner and the show. Right. And the cast. You know, when you get, get into a show like Riverdale and you're doing season two, three, four, and it's this super popular show, the cast they know and they, they want to be represented properly and they have every right to be and you want to make sure that they are. And so I've had directors come in like on season two or three of Riverdale where certain ideas just didn't work for casts and, and I would back them and explain why I thought, you know, it wasn't right or whatever. And I would also, if, if it felt like it was far from what the show was, the showrunner would have wanted or anything along those lines, I would be vocal about it. And sometimes it was great and worked well. And sometimes there were 
it, you know, people didn't like that. You know, directors <laughs> didn't like it. But I, but my loyalty was always with the show and the showrunner and the cat. You know, the ones that are really there every day that know the show inside and out are putting their life into making this this thing. And so for me, I'm a guardian of that. I feel like in many ways, and so I wouldn't try to like manipulate my my mindset within one show episode to episode like I would from a movie to a different movie with a different director that's different because then you're like really trying to find what that style is like going to child's play you know after Riverdale or whatever or the pilot of Katie Keene different things like that those are all individual pieces and you really do try to figure out how to work together what that mindset is and it's and whatever that vision of that director find your way of fitting into that because there's also other uh, cinematographers that are uh, working on other episodes within a season. Or are you the sole cinematographer for like Sabrina? Lot Most TV shows have alternating yeah. cinematographers. But I've every show I've done, I've really just been the guy that was there the whole time. Now, when I started season three of Riverdale, we started alternating. On season two, I did every episode. Season three, we started alternating. But I left really early to go do Child's Play. My showrunner was extremely nice and supportive to let me just kind of go off for a while and right. come back. So I, I was kind of gone. I didn't really end up doing much of season three. I did a couple episodes and that was it. But that season was going to be set up in an alternating way. Katie Keene, which was the pilot I did, and I'm going to go to New York in a few weeks and do the series. I'm doing every episode. Wow. wow. That's awesome. I love what you said earlier that you're kind of like the, a guardian of the showrunner's vision. I think that's really cool that you have that loyalty to the person whose idea this was like, this is their, if, if you know, this is part of their baby, most likely unless they were hired because the people that created it weren't a showrunner before, but I'm assuming they were this idea of you, you make sure that you make them happy. And then the next person, you know, the next group would be the cast and then the director and making sure that it, it all flows well in one connective group. In a yeah. Lot of ways. I mean, I should, I should clarify, like I definitely don't try to, you know, put, favors out there and like most directors almost every director probably every director comes in with the intention of just being as truthful mm-hmm. and making the best episode they can i mean right. that's definitely why that's their job and they they love it and they're they're trying to do that but i've just found sometimes their visions are a little different there's also a difference like you've been working on this show this team has been working on the show for so long and this person might not be as familiar and they're coming in for just a special episode. So you have to be that guiding hand of this is how we do things. Yeah. Or, or more, it's more, I just kind of say this is kind of against what we've done. Like, sure. We don't do a lot of gritty handheld work on Riverdale. And if someone came in and wanted to do the whole episode handheld and, and just kind of fly through it and not cover things properly, not get your multiple sizes. And, you know, then it'd be like, well, we, we got to talk about <laughs> we talk about this. this. This won't look a thing. We're like going to record the whole thing on GoPro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Film like that's, noir. that's what I want to do with this episode. So, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of having conversations with directors. So when you do have a disagreement with a director or someone on set, uh, for those out there that are, you know, starting to get into that field of being a cinematographer, working with other directors, you know, what advice or how do you handle those disagreements, how do you approach it? I think you just have to be speaking from, you know, what you believe, like your heart of what this, the reason you have to be very, you have to explain why you have to try to, you know, be professional, stay calm. Don't be in front of a bunch of people. You know, you don't want to down talk the director's ideas in front of the entire crew cast, but you have to speak from the heart because if you do that, I think they'll understand. And if you don't and you just react and get out, get mad, then it's it's not going to do anything good for anyone. This is ridiculous. What is this crap you're doing? (laughs) This is not Riverdale. (laughs) I am Riverdale. Taking a couple steps back though, what did you do to get the skills that you have to be a cinematographer? You you mentioned that you went to film school. Uh, Besides film school, like what was the path of getting to the point of working on a show like Riverdale? When I was in school, my teacher was, I remember he, he kind of was like, there's two ways to go about it. There's many ways, obviously, but there's like, you can join the union, you can work your way up as an assistant, become second, become a first, camera op, DP. That path can take you 10, 15, whatever years. Or you can go out and shoot independent films and you can just be a cinematographer and shoot from the start. And you might struggle for a while, you know, you might not make a lot of money, you might not, you know, be able to eat well and, you know, that kind of thing for, for a bit. But your passion will always be there because you're making the movies. And that was kind of the, the direction I decided to go. I was very lucky to have the support from multiple people. 
along the way, family and that sort of thing. And, and it was just like, went that route. And I, I, I shot independent films, uh, short films, commercials, music videos, corporate videos, whatever I could and started to be able to shoot, to be able to get a couple bucks in when I could. That's what the corporate videos came into. And year by year, it would basically just progress to a little bit more movies with a little more money or whatever and that sort of thing or something would finally get distribution and then you would just kind of build and build and build and it took a long time but it worked and then i kept trying to always grow every project i wanted to be a step but that but that's such a great vision of you could spend this time working up the ladder or you could just start as the role that you want to be doing did you have to buy your own equipment or were you just building that up over time as well you know when i was starting i would buy little cameras and they got bigger and bigger as well as as time would go on and um, I bought a red camera when red started coming out and that sort of thing. But, you know, it wasn't really like I had to do it. I just I felt like I I guess I felt like I had to do it. But, you know, you don't have to 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 do that. You can there's always people with cameras. You can always get your hands on a camera. I mean, now with, you know, DSLRs being like you can buy a great DSLR for a couple of thousand dollars and make a great looking show. You don't you know, you don't need everything i mean cell phones right you can like an apple well there's there's been shows like what modern family had a couple episodes where the entire episode was shot using ipads and iphones as a cinematographer what how do you feel about people taking it to that kind of extreme if it works it works i mean if that's the challenge presented to you and you find a way to do it properly that's great i, I you know i I'm not, I don't try to be like, has to be on like a certain camera. Like, come on, anything IMAX else? or I'm not a part <laughs> of it. Like, well, I mean, uh, Steven Soderbergh shot un, uh, Unsane all yeah. on iPhone. Yeah, wow. exactly. And that's, and I, I haven't seen that, but I, I'm looking, I want to. And I saw the trailer. I remember seeing the trailer with that. And I was like, you know, it's great. Like, it, yeah, it doesn't look like, you know, an Alexa or film or whatever. What it really comes down to, again, is is like just storytelling. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that you need, you don't need, the certain lenses that are 25 grand per lens and you don't need this camera that's worth a hundred thousand dollars and you don't need all that Say, stuff to really make it. Cancel $50,000. We had $50,000. No, <laughs> I wish, you know, you just need a, a vision. You just need an idea. You, yeah. know, you just need to know where to like place the camera and do it right. And I'm sure when Soderbergh made that, I'm sure he had like multiple, you know, he probably put lenses on oh, yeah, yeah. iPhones and that sort of thing, but yeah. still it's, so a lot different. Yeah. So when you were starting to get these jobs, you know, the corporate jobs and things like that to start build your resume, how were you finding these jobs? Where were you looking? Who were you talking to? What was your strategy to kind of keep going from one job to the next job to the next job? Like everybody, I think you build a community of filmmakers around you that are all kind of roughly in your world of, of where you're at and you reach out and try to meet new people and new filmmakers and try to collaborate together. And it would just grow and i think early days i would make a reel and i would put it on a i remember even putting them on dvds and mailing them out you know or like going out to different production companies and handing them resumes and reels and that sort of thing that you don't do that now obviously you just send a link but it totally makes me sound old <laughs> but um i remember writing them on well paper. hey you weren't sending at least vhs tapes that's right it wasn't on vhs yeah. so so when on set you know, especially at the earlier time when you do these corporate videos, you obviously now I don't know how intricate these productions were, but when you're on set, you're usually dealing with the lighter, the lighting crew and the electricians and, and props and sets and, and stuff like that to make sure the shots are all uh, at least look well. Nothing's in the way of the actors. The lighting is all pr- pr- uh, right. So when you start doing this stuff and you get into that point of there's multiple positions that I have to work with, how did you start building the confidence to go up to him and go, this is what what I want. This is what we've, you know, the director and I have talked about. You know, the, please, I need you to move the light this way, or and start communicating those things with the other people. I think you just kind of, I don't know what, I don't know if I could pinpoint that. I, I think I just would like, you would just, I mean, you had to, right? You know, you you put the camera here and you need to change things, and if you had to try to get your vision across or get your idea across and make sure that people understood why. And I don't know, you just, you probably did the, probably the first few times I did it, I was super nervous. And then, you know, you do it a couple more times and you get more comfortable with it. And it's just, it's just the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I think that's part of what it was. Any fun stories of dealing with actors? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there are. (laughs) You know, I was asking you what I asked, uh, uh, Nicole, like what is, what is your favorite thing about actors and what is your least favorite thing about actors? 
I mean, my favorite thing about actors is, I, I mean, I love watching a great performance, you know, and, and I think actors have the hardest job, you know, like I think directors have a very hard job in different ways than an actor. I think an actor to be able to do anything naturally and be really good at telling that story as a, you know, taking someone's words, becoming a new character, that sort of thing. I think that's a very hard. So I, I love watching a great performance. In season one, uh, we had a guest, Marcus Friedlander, who described he could tell within a few seconds of watching an actor on camera if they had that sensibility of acting on film. Have you seen the differences of actors who are on screen that you have to maybe give them certain notes or the director has to give them notes because they might not be used to acting on camera? I mean, I think there, there are definitely actors who are more comfortable with technical and working with the camera. And you can tell sometimes, you know, you see like a scene working out and there's five actors or six actors in the scene and person back there has the line and they just kind of do this because they know they have to find the camera and they can just kind of find that stuff or find the light. They sure. they understand it or hitting the marks and they understand the process. They understand that there's a focus puller on and if they lean two inches forward, they're going to be completely out of focus. So they yeah. try to like, they understand that process. And then there's others that are newer and they, maybe they don't get that process as well. And you have to teach them a little bit more or talk to them, explain why, but they're there for a reason. They're there because they have the right look or the right, um, they can bring the best of that character. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're there for, you know, you just have to work with everybody differently. It's the same as any other position on set though, right? You can yeah, work sure. with certain directors, understand cinematography and cameras really well. And some just don't, and they want to just work with the actress and let you kind of work that out more. And that's fine. You have to kind of find how everyone works and work together. And So as, as you've gone through this process of, you know, starting with corporate videos and moving on to short films, obviously going into TV uh, network series and things like that, have you, do you feel you have found your style? You know, every cinematographer kind of has their style. You can always be like, oh, this was this person's work or this was this person's work. Do you feel you have found your style yet? Or are you still working on that? Or do you think you want to have a style? I don't think I have a style that I can pinpoint. Maybe some people could if they watched enough <laughs> uh, more than me. But I, you know, I mean, like there are certain guys that you can tell, like, you know, I could tell Robert Richardson film who shoots stuff for like Scorsese and Tarantino. And, you know, he's famous for his pools of hot overexposed light. But for the most part, I think cinematographers, like what I try to do is tell a story and light it based on what the script is kind of dictating. You know, the script will tell me how I think the show should look and conversations with the director and how do we want the audience to feel and that sort of thing. And it's just like, I try to make every show different and I try to make every show have its own feel and I don't think that I have a specific style because I think if you have a style what it really means is you're kind of defaulting to the same thing all the time keep using the same tricks yeah and it's good to have those when you're in a pinch you know and you have have like five minutes to get the scene clock's running out on the day sun's going down you need to get your shots and you need to light it and you know what you think works well what you think looks good to your eye where you could put one light or whatever it is, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of idea. It's good to have those tricks in the back of your pocket. And that only comes from obviously doing it enough and, and seeing what you like and what you respond to. But I still try to make every scene have its own thing and every story have its own thing. Sure. Do you storyboard? It depends on the show. And that's mm-hmm. a process I go through with directors. Uh, you know, I, I don't storyboard board on my own, but yeah. I'll, um, I'll like Child's Play, we storyboarded most of the movie. And how long does that process take you? Uh, it can take a while. I mean, when I came on to the show, there were a few scenes that were already storyboarded when I started prep. And then Lars, the director, Lars, and I would spend time almost every day kind of going through boards. Some days he would be like, go, go board the scene and we'll come back tomorrow and talk about it and see if we want to go this way or not. And I would kind of just draw stick figure drawings of different ideas and bring it to him and we would talk about why this would work or not and, mm-hmm. and he, he you know he was great with that it, i think we were still boarding down at the very end and that was almost two months of prep that was oh wow yeah. but i mean it's not like we're doing it the whole time yeah sure <laughs> of course yeah i'm just curious if like that's also part of your the process of finding out what the style is then of that film when you're storyboarding or Maybe. or do you I, find I, it more so on the set it's more so on still hopefully in prep but yeah. it's it is more conversation based, I think, mm-hmm. you know, just talking about it. The storyboarding, I think the style, yeah, it's part of it probably because you're still sitting here, a bunch of, you know, you're talking about the ideas of the scene and what it could be. And you, you know, you throw ideas around and you start to focus in on it. And I, I just find like the more conversations 
about movies in general and your movie that you're making at that time, focus in on what you will end up doing. And that's where the style gets born and bred kind of thing. Well, I know you mentioned the actors earlier. Do you have a lot of communication with the actors on the set? Do you have, do you talk to them a little bit or is it more you and the director on the set when it comes to, to film and TV? I don't, I try to keep all the creative with the director. Mm-hmm. Um, when the actors come out, I, if, if they're not already in the know of what the scene is or the shot is, I'll explain it, try to explain it so that they know, you know, they, they, there's a big difference for an actor to be, you know, on a head to toe with a bunch of other people in a shot or in a close up. And, you know, if the camera's on the other side of the room, you're on a long lens, they want to know where they are. So it's helps. I, I'll just try to explain briefly to them so that they know what we're doing. Yeah, don't need to give them the super nitty gritty. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit kind of specifically about some of the stuff we kind of talked in generalities a little bit. You know, you came on to with Riverdale, you came on to that, uh, I think, around Ch- around the 14th episode, uh, if I'm correct. Uh, what was it like? You know, how did that happen? How did you get involved with that? And what was it like coming in I mean, halfway through? I'm assuming the first season or was that the second season? That it was the start of season two. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if they had 13 episodes or. So when you came into that, what was that like for you? It was, uh, it was awesome. It was great. <laughs> but, um, I loved, you know, Riverdale was a, it was a great show to do. I, I was on Van Helsing at the time. I did two seasons of Van Helsing or actually it was, I think it was like a few weeks before the show was wrapped. Um, when I got the call about Riverdale and I got the call from one of the local producers in Vancouver where we shot Riverdale and Van Helsing. She was just asking if I was interested and, you know, I had known her for a long time, but never worked with her she thought that I would be a good fit. So she put me forward to the showrunner, uh, Roberto, and he responded. And and so the conversation started from there. So I came on at the beginning of season two. Season one was 13 episodes. Season two was 22. It was a big task because we knew how big the show was getting. It was still at that stage where, you know, I think when season one ended, it wasn't quite out there. And then it hit Netflix and then it blew up. And now it was like this huge thing. And when we started shooting season two, the, you know, there were, fans and paparazzi everywhere when we were out on the streets for the first episode. It was a lot of responsibility and it was a great honor to be able to do it. I tried to make sure that I, I kept the look of the show, but I also felt like there was room for enhancement enhancements that I worked out with the director at the time, who was Rob Glance. Did you have any conversations with like the previous cinematographers with them about kind of where that style came from or getting any advice for them? Or was it just, I'm on board and I'm just going forward? It was more just I'm on board and I'm going forward with the director and the showrunner's input of what we wanted the show to be and what they want the show to be. Um, I didn't talk to the, I did not talk to the previous director of photography. You know, when we were in prep, we were looking at all the old episodes and, and we would watch them and talk about what worked and what we thought didn't work. And then Rob Glance and I would, would go through different ideas of what we wanted this episode to be and what we thought it could carry through. And we would look at all these old Archie comics. It was really where it came from as we started seeing these old Archie afterlife where there's this whole series where Archie fights zombies and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of gets into these like dark worlds. And Rob brought the comic to me and he was like, look at this. It's just like these bold red colors. And you know, you got these blues and all these different crazy saturated colors. And it's nothing like the Archie universe that we know, you know, it's not like that 1950s Archie that we're all used to. It's completely different. And, and it was drawn, it was written by Roberto, our showrunner as well. And, we embraced that. We loved the look of the colorful washes of light. And uh, we took that into season two and enhanced it. I think they did it in season one a little bit, maybe not as much, but we, once we started looking at these comic books, we knew we wanted to take it in a new direction. Well, it does have this like weird mix of like, like the old uh, Tim Burton Batman style with that, like really gothic tone to it in a lot of ways, this dark comic booky tone, but also it still has that real world, uh, merging with it as well. And I find that so fascinating in the look of the show um, that how it just kind of all, like you have these scenes where like, oh, that's incredibly the way it's lit, the way it's done is very comic booky. But then you have these other shots where like, oh, it's a teenage drama also. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic. Yep. And that's all that scene by scene, letting the script tell you how to do it. Mm. How long of a day what did you find working on Riverdale? Or is it like most other productions where it could be 12 hours or oh yeah it was um 13 hours i think was the average day fun i think when we started the season we had 14 hour days and then the studio cut it back and said we're not gonna let you work past 13 
And so we went down to 13s and then it was pretty much always between the 12, 13 mark. And you get about what, five to six minutes of footage a day probably between those days or do you all have a shorter day count where you have to get more? So it, I think it all, it was all work dependent. You know, some, okay. some scenes would be longer if you're in this on the, on our stages, you could get a little more done. Sometimes you're moving around you get a little less or if it's action, you might only be doing, you know, a page or whatever, but it's, it's all the elements. You know? yeah. yeah. So when you're in production mode, is there anything that you do to make sure that you're like at the top of your game and that you're not feeling exhausted when you hit hour seven and there's still, you know, five more hours to go, six hours to go. Yeah. I think I, I actually just, I try to, stay as healthy as I can, to be honest. Like I, I try to sleep when I, I try to go home, you know, review the next day's work, sleep as much as I can. <laughs> I, get, I like to get a good, if I can get a good six hours, I'm happy, you know, and, and because a season of Riverdale went on for nine months or something like that, nine and a half months, it's a long run. So you want to make sure you're, you're getting your rest. So when you jump for like Riverdale to Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, now obviously I think that's done by the same producers, of Riverdale, is that how that happened for you? Was just that connection between the producers? Yeah. I heard it I, when we were shooting season two uh, of Riverdale, I heard rumors of Sabrina. And, you know, I, I went up to Roberto, our showrunner, and was just like talking to him about it and the possibility of doing it. And when I kind of learned what he wanted to do with the show by making it, you know, this really more dark. of a darker yeah. show and, and kind of really playing in the supernatural and doing something really neat and different, I was like, I am... Like, I love this idea. This is, this is right. Well, I feel so like this is right up like my alley. Yeah. Yeah. Or are you still looking? <laughs> or, hey. so I, I'm not interested at all. I'm not no, interested. No, I, they, like, hey. I straight up said I'm interested. <laughs> I was like, I would love to do this. You know, so I'd yeah, love to smart. do it with you. And, and he was like, well, they were overlapping. We were finishing Riverdale. Sabrina started before I was there. There was a pilot director, Lee Crager, who did the pilot of Riverdale and like a hundred other pilots. He was like the pilot guy right now. He's yeah. killing it. Uh, and he worked a lot with a cinematographer named David Lazenberg, who's awesome, fantastic, did lots of work with Lee before as well. So they were coming on to do the pilot. Timed out perfectly that when I finished Riverdale, they were, I think, halfway through the pilot episode and that I could just start prep and run for a little while until Riverdale started again for season three. So I ended up doing uh, five episodes of Sabrina mm -hmm. back to back. And then I went back to season three and, of Riverdale and started that until I left for Childsburg. Wow. I, I, I love Sabrina. Um, my fiance, she started watching it and I was expecting like, oh, like the Nickelodeon show, or, but it is nothing, no, nothing, nothing like, like it. But it, it is, but it has its own unique and very different style to Riverdale. Nice. When you went over to that, how was it switching styles? I mean, obviously it does have that similar style, but obviously not the same at the same time, especially lighting wise and things like that. So again, how do you switch your process back and forth? Is it just like, knowing the script and just sitting there and just going, this is what it is. It's not the same. How do I, how do you, how do you switch your gears? It's hundred percent the script. It's, yeah. it's really, it's like, it's the script and knowing the show what the show idea is, you know, we didn't want to make it this big bright thing. And if you watched, you know, the pilot was super dark and, and I would watch dailies and I would be on set with them, you know, what was it they were doing it just to kind of make sure we were all aligning things. And we knew that when I would start, that there were a bunch of new worlds being introduced still like the pilot wouldn't cover everything obviously so that we had to make sure that what we were that it was all going to maintain throughout it really it all does come from the script like the script is the bible to everything it's all your answers when you come to filmmaking no matter what your department is i think it's it's all right there now is is there a difference in the sense of how the production works between like a cw network show production and a Netflix production, was there any kind of difference that you saw in how it was run or how, what, anything you had to do differently uh, in, in hours or style that you, that, that you noticed? I don't think, I mean, I don't think there's anything that I had to do differently based on that. I just, you know, I did my job um, the best I could and it was, but I know Netflix has like, they, you know, they're great with um, not being conventional, you know, and, and really allowing the filmmakers to be expressive beyond the norm of, of standard network television. Um, but I'll say like Riverdale is not your average standard television show. I don't think even the network show, like even for CW, they've pushed boundaries. We've been able to push boundaries. And I think the success of the show has allowed the freedom to do what we wanted and the network to be great with it and happy with it. Um, because it was successful, it was working, why change it? And 
So for me, I didn't notice, like I never had conversations of like, oh, we, we can't do this here. We can do that there. There was never anything along those lines. Nice. Fantastic. And then uh, obviously you jumped into Chuck, uh, Child's Play. Uh, how did that come about? And was there any fear at the beginning from you taking on this beloved horror classic and like rebooting it or, or you know remaking it in a way? I don't think there was any fear, but there was definitely excitement. Like yeah. I was, I was really pleased to do it and honored to be able to do it. I remember watching Child's Play as a kid. I was going to say, were you? A fan yeah. Of like, what was film? your memory yeah, of that? Totally. I, 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 it was one of those movies that I saw a few times when I was young, and I thought it was great. Like it was ridiculous, and as much as it, it is the concept of a killer doll. It was something that, at the, as a kid, it would like you know get in your head. It would scare you a little bit, right? Oh yeah. And that, and to be able to take that and and kind of go with it in today's world was an honor. You know, it was great. Well, well, you know, transitioning from like the TV to film, what was different about your process uh, between the TV TV side and the film side? The difference in prep was huge. I mean, like especially when I'm doing on TV, when I'm doing every episode, you know, my prep is like at the beginning of the season and then I'm just kind of working, you know, with the directors through lunch breaks and that sort of thing and phone calls and emails and whatever. Um, but on this, I had two months of prep and it was trying to be as detail oriented as we could. It was really all about like just making sure that Lars Klevberg, the director and I, and the production designer, Dan, and, you know, we would just, we would always try to make sure that every decision that we talked about or every decision that had to be made was done for the right reason and not just the first thought, you know? So we would, we would say, is this, you know, like how much time do we have to get, make this final decision? And then we would talk about it, you know, we'd go off and kind of think about all these other reasons why that should be done that way or not. And, you know, and it it was a very creative process because we got to really think about doing it for the right reason, not just by getting an answer right away, you know? which happens a lot in television. Was was there any pressure to homage or mirror the style of the original film in any way? Was there any like, hey, we want to have these shots be just like the first film or anything in that no, sense? Nothing like that. That's good. Yeah, it was very open to us translating how we wanted. When it came to Chucky, there was like, we wanted to make sure that he, we wanted to reboot him, of course, and there were concept drawings done before I came on board and they were, you know, the way he basically what he ended up being, maybe a slight variations, but he, you know, he had to be represented properly, right. obviously, right? Like he had to have the red hair, he had to have the striped shirt and the jean, the denim overalls. We could change certain things a little bit, like the stripes were a little different, the colors were a little, a little bit different, but same idea. Yeah. And we had to, we wanted to make sure that, and it was important to everybody from the studio down, you know, to everyone, to me and everyone else, and the director, of course, and everyone that, he was represented as truthfully as we could, you know, and, and make sure that the fans, there's a lot of diehard Chucky fans out there. Yes, there one are. of my best friends is a diehard like horror film fan in general. And one of the child's play is one of his yeah. favorites. Yeah. So you, you said earlier you were a huge fan of star Wars and that was kind of your introduction to how film kind of, uh, to, to get into film and your inspiration, how pumped were you when you found out that Mark Hamill was doing the voice um, of Chucky? That was, it's pretty cool. Did you get to, Did you get a chance to meet him? Or, or I met or him at the premiere. Nice. Um, did you Did you cry? Be honest. <laughs> I, I was. I was honestly. I felt like that was the first time I'd ever been kind of starstruck in a way. It was just like Luke Skywalker, <laughs> like the Joker. I don't just know. All these Am I Nicole? I was with Nicole, and she was. She actually broke the search. She was like, "Mark, this is Brendan. He was your cinematographer. He really wants to talk to you, or like meet you." And I was like. That sounds like something Nicole would do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Did he give you a light sign lightsaber? No. <laughs> he just always has one. <laughs> right? He gave you the voice of Chucky for your He did give us the voice of Chucky, yes. Yeah, so he did great at that. Do you remember seeing the, your first day on set with Chucky? How did you feel like when you finally got to see him, the prop or the character? I think the first day on set, I mean, I'd seen him so many times throughout the process because we'd go into the, the master effects, the guys who build it, we would look at the progression of him and we would kind of like pick out what we what was working or what wasn't or you know Lars was doing that and I saw it through an evolution over a month sure. probably onto the first day and then when we got there and he was finally standing there on set and we'd look at him it was a great feeling but it was always it, but there was still that it was like you know it was the same thing we we had to we had a lot of work to do that kind of feeling but it was also not nervousness but just like caution of making sure he was done right and making mm. sure that he was photographed right 
and making sure that was translated. So there was there was that kind of a pressure, which was great. Was, yeah, I think that's a great thing to feel. You want to feel that kind of pressure to be kept creative and keep moving and and that kind of thing. But it it was uh, yeah definitely. It was cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right on. Now, yeah. obviously, with that, that kind of sh- that that film, obviously, there's some special effects involved and things like that as well. Uh, I'm sure on some of the other shows, uh, especially Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, there's definitely some special effects involved. What is your process when you're looking at just a straight conversation between somebody or just a regular scene, and then you're prepped for like, okay, in this scene, we're going to have a computerized robot uh, trying to kill someone, or we're going to have you know, a, a car wreck or a magical spell? Like what is, how does your process different? Well, I guess you have to just make sure that everybody is on board with the idea. You know, everyone knows what it is, but I'll say this with child's play, the majority of the time you see Chucky, it's, it's our doll. It's, yeah. You know, we had an animatronic doll that was puppeteered by, you know, four guys at once. Wow. And <laughs> one, one person doing his arms, one person doing his head, turning it, one person doing his talking who would also, his name is Keith and he would remote control his eyes, like his uh, eyebrow expression. Mm-hmm. The eyes were all, were done in post, the yeah. glowing eyes, but mm-hmm. everything else. And he would also talk. So oh. he would say all the online. Oh, so he was the onset. He was the voice. onset voice. And he, he was, would, so he could be <laughs> talking and making his mouth match the dialogue. So mm-hmm. it looked like he was actually saying it. And then, you know, the actors would, would work with him. Um, so yeah, the, the majority of the shots are, our our doll the only time that we relied from the start on full cg chucky was when it was a head to toe of him walking mm-hmm. and i think for whatever reason there might have been one or two that made it in that where we also did it with a doll but for whatever reason it went that way in post but what we did is we would do every no matter what the shot even if it was one of those head to toe walking we would do it with our practical doll we would have a puppeteer walk him through the set so that we could photograph it properly. We knew where the camera moved. Uh, the actors knew where the it height, was, all the that height, stuff. all yeah. that kind of thing. All the lighting. The lighting, they would do. They would walk through so they could see the lighting on the doll. And then they would walk through with the silver balls that they could get reflections in the light. And then they would, you know, so we would do it that way first. And then we do a clean pass after without it so that they had that. As so well. same camera pass and everything, but there's just exactly. nothing there. Yeah. Mm. Like there's a shot in, in right after Andy gets Chucky, he takes him into his room. And he shows him around his room. He introduces him to the cat. He walks through up to his desk and they look at these drawings. Mm-hmm. And we did the shot from across the bed. And we just kind of panned with him so we could show the whole room in one shot as he's walking. And he's literally holding Chucky's hand and he kind of hops him up on this little stool at the desk. Um, so we walked through it with the doll. And then we gave Gabriel, the actor who plays Andy, we gave him this hand of Chucky. It was just a stick that was, you know, like, <laughs> and it literally had his hand and, and part of his sleeve. And then it was just, that was it. So we'd walk through it with that. And then in post they could, he had something to grip so that it was real. And then they could just add on the rest of the know. body. Oh, sure. oh, wow, and so it just really helped cool. make it, you know, seat more seamless and work well. Right. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, now you also, yeah, you mentioned Nicole, Nicole Lear, who we've had on the podcast previously uh, as a director and an actress and a writer. You guys work together a lot. You kind of, she's kind of your business partner. Tell us about y'all's business, what you guys do, and and how being in not only business partners, but also like you know, in a relationship, how does that, do you guys not let that get in the way? Or does it get in the way sometimes? <laughs> Spill we, we the focus. tea, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> She'll never hear this. No. <laughs> we focus, like, you know, we're very understanding of what we're both doing. Mm-hmm. And we focus on on work a lot. And our company is Black Tree Pictures. We just you know we've um just set up a new company here again and you know we do different things we we have cameras that we would rent out we have production that we would do nicole has uh kiss my incoming abs which is a show that she does that's transformation fitness show um we run it through the company and we also are she just did a score to settle which is a movie with nicholas cage that she's acting in and that comes out august 2nd which is a big thing right That's now so it's gonna awesome. be huge yeah it's gonna be awesome for her and um you know so we just we we really focus hard on work we really make you know we came here for a reason we came we moved to los angeles to make keep making movies and it takes a lot of work yeah, yeah. but you know and then one day you can work with such iconic actors like nicholas cage or a doll like chucky yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right yeah. Uh, you know michael uh mentioned a friend of ours before who 
him and his part, him and his one of his good friends have a company as well, a production company. And we had them on, it's called leading Lobos. And we had them on. And one of the things that was really interesting that they talked about was how they felt like they had to decide between uh, a friendship and partnership. And they had to kind of go, we are still friends, but our focus has to be the partnership in a lot of ways. Um, you know, how do you, how do you two handle that working together and how do you keep it separate? Do you just have a rule? Like we don't talk about it at home or, you know, how do you deal with those moments where it kind of seeps in? Just let, you, just, <laughs> you just let it be what it is. I think we don't have rules or anything. There's, there's no like, let's not talk about it at dinner and let's right. not talk about it here or there. Mm-hmm. But it's, we just, you know, we actually do talk about it all the time. That's really what it is. We talk about. You show the we, support for one another. Yeah. And I mean, Nicole's amazingly, she's, well, you guys met her. She's a very strong personality. Yes. She's very I mean that in dedicated. A good way. Yes, she's yeah. very strong she's, she's fantastic. She's yeah. very dedicated. She's driven. You know, she's been extremely supportive of me and helpful throughout my career. And, um, you know, it's been great. And now, you know, we're things are progressing right now for her really well with, with, with this movie coming out. She has a couple other things going on as well. And yeah, it's just, we just, you all, I mean, you have to just support each other the best you can. Nice. Um, since you've been working in the business now for so many years, uh, do you feel at all jaded about the industry at all? Is there ever a day where you're like, ah, gosh, I wish things were different or whatever, or how do, how do you deal with the hustle of having to be in the hustle? I don't feel jaded. I love the industry now more than ever. I love making movies. I mean, my love for films is what's kept me. My love for films is the only thing that would keep me going in, in an industry that is as difficult as this one. Because it is. It's a tough business to be in. There's a lot of competition. The hours are intense and grueling. Like, you know, you spend all your time with crew, not with family, you know. And, yeah. But I, I'm no, I'm not jaded by it in any way. And I... I I don't think that that's, I don't see myself ever being whatever that is. I don't even know what that really, I don't know what that means. I can't picture mm-hmm. what that is because it just doesn't, it seems so far from, you have to love what you're doing, you know, especially this. Like, I think everybody should chase their dreams and passion because it's the only way you're going to be happy and successful, I think. And the idea of being jaded or burnt out, I hear people talk about being burnt out and maybe they're just saying they're tired for that night or whatever. That's fine. But, <laughs> but like if, if you start to hate it, then you should just do something else. I think. Yeah, no, I, I love that in that it should never feel like it's work in a way you, you should never feel like it's a struggle. And if it is a struggle, then you have to ask yourself, well, do you need to move on to something yeah. else? Like if it's, if it's such a struggle that you hate going to work and if you are, you know, getting up and going to set and you hate being there and you hate dealing with the, with the business, with the people around you and all the, problems that you're presented if you hate all that then it's not what you should be doing you know you'll probably excel way better at something else Mm -hmm. and you know if if you still love it then that's great and that's that means that you're on the you know a good path i think is there a show on television that if you could go back in time and like be the cinematographer on you'd be like i would love to to work on that show on tv yeah anything that you're like i would love to be the dp on that show the original Twin Peaks, maybe. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, man, I see, I see that so easily. Yeah. Um, hey, you never know. They may do another another season of it. <laughs> yeah, on Showtime. yeah. Um, no, I, I also, I mean, newer shows, but I, I love what they've been doing on Stranger Things and Ozark, kind of complete different world of you know a different type of show, which I love. I love that look. You know, I love the way that that show's done. Now, a lot of the stuff that you've done has been kind of dark and 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 uh, in some ways noirish and a little bit uh, that comic book style. Is there a different genre that you're like, I would love to do like a romantic comedy, or I'd love <laughs> to do an action film, or I'd love to do a, a you know a handheld gritty horror film or something? Is there something that you would love to be a DP of a style? All the above, <laughs> honestly though, because I, I give him a call. <laughs> I, I no, I, I mean that because I want to be able to you know, I want to do different things and tell different stories. And I don't want, you don't want to do the same thing all the time. You know, you want to be able to like expand your, your mindset and your way of approaching stories. And, and, you know, like I haven't done a lot of handheld over the last many shows because I've really believed that, you know, when, especially on TV shows, I find 
when directors come up to me and they're like, let's do a handheld. It's, we have no time. You know, that's generally what it comes mm, down to. They're, they're not, it's not done for the right reasons. And there are great reasons for handheld. And I am looking forward to doing a show that is like a handheld show. I want to, you know, I, I, I love the, the look of it and the rawness of it. And there's guys, you know, cinematographers out there who are doing it where I think it just looks phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, I want to do, I'd love to do a Western. I'd love to do mm-hmm. sci- big, you know, sci-fi and space. You know, I'd like to do them all. And I want to do heavy dramas. I want to do, you know, gritty shows. Like it, it, it's really, it, if the script speaks to you, if the director has a clear vision for something that's different and unique or, or just powerful or something that would mean something to you, I'm in. You know, nice. Kind of nice. Very cool. As we start to wrap things up, uh, one of the things we like to do, I was um, gonna do the same thing. is uh, <laughs> celebrate small wins. Because on The Hustle, it's so easy to be so, so much about, oh, well, I'm not filming Star Wars. You look, so, you look at the big picture and not the small things that get you there. Yeah. Too much. So uh, what are three small wins, three small victories that you've had recently in the past month? We want to celebrate them. We want to celebrate them for you. <laughs> it doesn't have to be film related. It could be anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I would say Katie Keene. We're going to New York to do Katie Keene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got picked up to series. Yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. Did the pilot earlier in the year. Got picked up. So that's fantastic. Great. That's awesome. Ooh, yeah. Um, what, what network is that going to be on? That'll be on CW. Because it's a Riverdale spinoff, right? Yeah. Somewhat. I mean, it's it's somewhat. It's like Josie from Riverdale right. ends up there and they there's little talk about it so far. Right. I mean, I haven't read the, you know, the season, obviously, mm-hmm. but it definitely is its own world. Like it's say, I haven't read a script. Then how did you shoot the pilot? <laughs> <laughs> I just showed yeah, up and pointed a camera and said, shoot that. <laughs> that looks good. All right. So that that's that's, that's one. Right. That's um, a score to settle with Nicole yeah. is, would definitely be the other. Nice. And um, yeah, I saw an article, I think, recently about that, about it coming out. Yeah, it comes yeah. out on August 2nd. Fantastic. Um, and the third one, well, we're moving. Oh, yeah. you're moving. Where are you moving to? Somewhere, well, we're not exactly sure yet, but we're going to, when we come back from New York, we'll find somewhere new in, in LA. And oh, so you're staying here, just yeah. not, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, you, so, you want, so you'll be a little closer to LA. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we won't be out, out in the booth. So thanks. Uh, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give someone who wants to get into cinematography or has started getting in? Like what are things they should know or should learn to, to be able to grow in this field? Trust yourself. Work hard. Work a lot. Shoot a lot. You know, learn from your mistakes. The mistakes are good. Let the story be the main drive. Don't let the technology be the drive. There's a lot of talk with cinematographers, especially now with, you know, digital versus film, that kind of, I mean, at least that talk has slowed down. You don't want it to be too technical. You don't want it to be too much about the technical. You want it to be about the story. And there's all those tools are there for us to use to tell the story. And that's great. And we need to know them and use them, but you don't want it to be a numbers game. You don't want to be using like, I need the 8k camera. I need the most expensive lenses. I don't, I need this and that. Like, it's not about that. It's really, it's what's on the script, what ends up on that little square image that you're making or rectangular image. <laughs> or 3D. Know, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever it is. It's it's, yeah. it's like, you got to just tell the story. I mean, it's why guys like Soderbergh can make a show on an iPhone. It's, it's all about the story. So you have to just trust yourself and work hard and be creative. And I guess the main thing is just never give up because it really is a, if you love it and you don't hate it, you don't get into that jaded thing we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Perseverance, you know, mm-hmm. just stay with it work hard and, and things, you know, it'll work. Now, any advice for someone who maybe gets that opportunity to do something like a CW Riverdale, like a big network or a big film, any advice for like moving from like small short film productions to a bigger machine like that? Yeah, don't do anything different than you were. Mm. You're hired for a reason. They would have been hired if they, if they got that jump from a little indie feature and they were, or short film or whatever, to a show like that, they were hired for their vision and it means that they should be bringing that onto the show. And yeah, the, the pressures will be different and they'll have different people trying to, they'll, they'll have the jaded, there are jaded people on set. They'll have those guys talking down to them or whatever, trying to make them do it their way. But they, I, I would say just don't change it. Just, you know, work with what you have and, you know, use the advice from people, but stick to what your heart and head says is, is the right way to do it. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, before we do our final thing, Michael, I want to thank you for being here, always being my drug head. Oh, yeah. Appreciate oh, it. Very happy to be. <laughs> Eat <And> more burgers. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Brendan, so much for being here. I'm excited to hear your answers for this next portion. <laughs> so uh, we did this for Nicole. It's a fun game we do. 
before Facebook and after Friendster, there was a fun space that everybody went to hang out called MySpace. You took forever for your page to load as what if God was one of us was playing and you would get in frights about why you weren't on someone's top six or top eight list. Uh, one of the things on there were quizzes, long, boring quizzes that meant nothing, had no answers like BuzzFeed now, just stuff you would post so people could know every little thing about you. I found one of those quizzes, 167 questions. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you every single question. We would be here for a while. Uh, but you did give me six numbers at the beginning of this that correlate with each question that I will be asking you. And you have not seen these questions yet, have you? No. All right, fantastic. Now, the only rule for this game is no explanation. So even if it's the weirdest question possible with like an answer that may have a great story, I just want to hear the simple, short answer because I think it's funny. Yeah. Okay. Leave them right. guessing. Leave them yeah, guessing. Leave them ge- wanting more. All Brandon. right. All right. <laughs> Brendan Ugama, are you ready for your MySpace quiz? Ready. All right. Question number one. Have you ever turned someone down for a date? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever fallen for a friend? Yeah. Have you ever f- eaten food in a car? While someone else or you were driving? What a terrible question. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess to make it difficult while you were driving? Yeah. Have you ever eaten while you were driving? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> if you haven't, how do you survive? <laughs> yeah. uh, what year has been your best year? 2019. All right, look at that. And do you like the outside? <laughs> this is probably the weirdest most like abrupt questions we've had in this all right brendan your final question of this really weird out there uh myspace quiz your best friend of the opposite sex likes you what do you do nothing (laughs) i'm there man (laughs) you hear that nicole you hear that nicole all right brendan thank you so much for being with us this has been a pleasure uh where can everyone find your work where can people uh uh, you know follow your uh journey where where can people find you i'd say instagram is the best place uh instagram i do have a website which is just my name brendanugama.com but instagram is uh you know i post a lot of behind the scenes stuff or images from movies i've done it's pretty much just a work related thing more than personal life so right on and that's at brandon ugama nice fantastic Catch, catch his work on Riverdale, on Chilling Adventures of uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Check it out on the upcoming Katie Keene. And definitely go see the new Child's Play film that he DP'd on with some beautiful doll directing, <laughs> doll pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Brennan. It's been a pleasure. We always like to end with our signature saying, which is keep up the hustle. Would you care to say it with us? Sure. All right, guys. Keep up the work. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep moving. And keep saying yes. But always remember to... Keep Keep up up the the hustle. hustle. Thanks, guys. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Brendan. What are your big takeaways? What stood out to you? Please send us your thoughts and your questions. If you're tuning in on Anchor, you can use their app or your computer to send us a voice message. Just make sure to favorite us on Anchor and you record and send us a message. We'll even include it in next week's episode. Of course, written messages are gladly accepted as well. You can send them to hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, after this episode, or right as you're listening, leave us a review and a comment and share this episode with any other future cinematographers, film lovers, Riverdale enthusiasts, or horror film fans that you know. If you're listening on Spotify, you can easily take a screenshot and it'll ask you if you want to share that on Instagram. I promise, it's so easy to do. As always, you can also reach out to us on social media. On Instagram, we're Hollywood Hustle Podcast. And on Twitter, we're LA Hustlecast. You can follow us personally on both platforms. Michael is Michael Lutheran, uh, all one word on both platforms. I am Daniel Tuttle, T-U-T-T-E-L, on all platforms. You can follow Brendan Ugama at Brendan Ugama, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-U-E-G-A-M-A, on IG, on Instagram. And you can check out Brendan's work on the new season of Riverdale on CW and the recent Child's Play film. This episode was brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our executive producer and Michael Lutheran is our podcast editor. Next week, we begin to prepare for Halloween. 
we were able to once again sit down with our favorite horror duo, Todd and Ashley Nunez, and watch another fantastic horror film. In our first season, episode 34, we watched the original Halloween. In season 2, episode 75, we watched The Conjuring. And this year, after talking to the director of photography for the new Child's Play film, we had an itching to revisit the original classic, Child's Play. Sit down with Chucky once again with our horror aficionados. Before we release that commentary to celebrate Halloween, we wanted to offer a bit of a reintroduction to the brother-sister team, Ashley and Todd Nunez. So next week, we will share some of the best parts of their previous episodes, the best advice and the best parts of their journey, or the more fun parts of their journeys. Do not miss this reintroduction to Todd and Ashley Nunez next week. It's going to be a lot of fun setting up this horror commentary in a few weeks that you get to hear uh, with Child's Play, the original Child's Play. Uh, Until then, guys, keep pushing, uh, keep learning, keep networking, and always remember to keep up the hustle.